Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney, joined by freelance writer and consultant, Rowan Kaiser. Hello. And today we also welcome back our friend, freelance writer, Bruno Diaz. Yo. Though I don't know if that's your only title these days, Bruno. I just I just know you as a freelance writer because that's how we've worked together. For all I know now, like you got this a robust yeah. narrative design uh, business going. Yeah, I mean, it's not looking so robust these days, but then again, nothing is. So <laughs> I've got an excuse now. But you know where there's always work? Being cops. No matter no matter what happens in life, there's always work to be had in forcing society's rules and regulations. Uh, that's right. Today we are talking about XCOM Chimera Squad, uh, the spinoff uh, tactics game that is set in the post-war future of XCOM 2. Uh, Rowan, do you want to set up a little bit? What is this game? So the narrative premise is that... Uh... It's five years after the war, the good guys have won, and there is a new society of humans and aliens and hybrids that are trying to live together, and some assholes who are trying to mess that up. And you play a cop squad that's kind of spun off from the original XCOM organization that is like basically a SWAT team that gets hired to go into a new, uh, or not a new city, but a city that needed your help in order to deal with the assholes who were trying to mess things up for the new human-alien hybrid uh, society. Um, what it is like in practice is a much smaller scale kind of slightly more narrative focused and uh with uh embedded characters instead of the random creator randomly created characters of XCOM and XCOM 2 um like expand alone to use the the marketing term but yeah so uh, it, uh it's almost it's like less an, like an expand alone and more like XCOM 2 Gaiden it's, yeah <laughs> it's like a a completely separate game that's just like on a smaller scale Right. It's basically a medium-sized XCOM. It costs $20, although it was 10 for a while uh, on for if you bought it early, which was a kind of a nice move. Um, though, obviously, when the show goes up, you're screwed if you were waiting for us. That's right. Um, um, and basically, it takes a lot of the big questions that XCOM was like trying to wrestle with at a tactical and strategic level and makes those things a lot simpler. The strategic layer is much less layered. The tactical layer is much smaller. What you do is you kind of breach into room, clear the room, go to the next room. Um, in that way, it really answers the two big questions that I had had about XCOM and XCOM 2, which were like, are these RPGs or all the are these strategy or war games? Um, and they tended to tilt towards RPG in a certain way where you had a core small party that you dealt with and kind of built them up specifically as opposed to a bunch of like interchangeable pieces. Um, this one has specifically, you know, 11 RPG characters. You could say that they're Mass Effect characters or whatever. Um, and the other thing is like, what is the core unit of challenge in an XCOM game? Is it the level? Is it the individual firefights? Whatever. This one says it's the room. You clear the room. You're, it's one encounter. It's not like, you know, in XCOM, in XCOM 2 where you, you know, 
found three sectoids and then had to clear them as quickly as possible before anyone else shows up. Like you, you go into the room and all four to eight bad guys are going to know that you're there and you deal with them. And, uh, that creates some interesting tactical, uh, changes. So yeah, it's XCOM on a smaller scale that, uh, does by doing that, like at some level becomes, I don't know, a much easier to handle game with some interesting changes. And in some ways I think becomes uh files off a little of the things that make XCOM really special to me, but we'll get to that. Bruno, you are keen to talk about this one. And I was curious, your opinion of this game is kind of a black box to me. Uh, so it's uh, time I, I to show your I really hand. like this game. Yeah. Like just cards on the table. I actually really like this. Um, I feel like, when I was reading the back-of-the-box copy for this, um, I was like, there's no way this is going to be good. So maybe my expectations were low uh, going into it, but I really, really did enjoy it. Uh, I think that it kind of fixes a lot of my problems with XCOM. Um, not so much by actually going in and fixing them, but by changing the context they're put into uh, in ways that make those problems not quite as salient. Like... Um, the the way that XCOM will sometimes throw your entire game on top of a dice roll and just sort of make you run with, you know, probabilities and the way people don't read probabilities very, uh, very intelligently and the way that that leads to, you know, gamer rage. Chimera Squad, like, gets around that by changing a bunch of other things and not by doing away with the like shot accuracy system entirely like some other games have. Um, the, I think it makes it worse. I think it makes it better. <laughs> I mean, no, I mean, I, I, I think that, I think that the actual shot accuracy system is not fudging the numbers as much because I feel like I'm missing way more shots than like, I was never a complaint about the, all the roles other than to make jokes about it with XCOM and XCOM 2, but with this one, it just seems like I missed so many 95% shots. What is going on here? Oh, that's wild. That's just not... Ha- like, wow. I, I honestly, I couldn't tell you if I've been missing more 95% shots than usual or not, because they just matter less. Like, if you're taking a a, yeah. a regular old, like, gunshot at something, you usually don't care about that shot in the same way that you did in XCOM 2. Yeah, that's a, that's a fair point. It's just... Something that I had noticed was perhaps the first thing I noticed was, uh, yeah, the shots in this game seem a little worse to me, but well, it might just be recency bias. I think, see, for me, I think my theory would be just that I feel like this game pushes me so hard in the direction of leveraging abilities that yeah, yeah. it means that I'm, uh, yes, I'm le- a little less invested in uh, the outcomes of shots. But also that when I am taking shots, it's usually because there was simply no other ability that was up that was useful, right? So it's just like yeah. the shot is kind of a, I don't know what to do right now, or I've got to hold a turn. So fuck it. Uh, take, you know, take this pop, sh- uh, pop shot. I'm, I'm either taking a very good shot. Like there, there's a lot of like 100% shots yeah. in this game. Yeah. Um, at least on like the normal difficulty, which is why I play these games. Um, I'm either taking a 100% shot to just like take something off the board. Or I'm using an ability, or I'm taking a pot shot because, like, I have no other options. It, it's never like, oh, okay, I can either make this shot or my squad is going to, like, eat a lot of damage uh, on the enemy turn. That, that doesn't, just doesn't happen in this game. And I think it really fits the, the fiction uh, 
um, where you're never you're not really trying to win by main force, and you're also not trying to uh, like get clever or ambush. You're you're trying to control a situation is what you're doing in this game, right? You're sort of going in and you're trying to like keep. Uh, so much of this game is just keeping the opponent from ever taking a turn or doing something, mm-hmm. um, which is one reason I, I one reason I think this doesn't have multiplayer is that it would be super frustrating to play against another person because the dynamic of it is that you're you're disabling the opponent so much. Um, yeah, I mean, your your squad with, is the globetrotters, the criminals are the generals, right? Like that's yes, that's kind yeah. of what the situation is. Like you go in through the door, and the question isn't like, are you going to beat these guys? The question is like, how completely are you going to just eliminate their ability to even do anything? I think a huge part of that is also the change they made to turn order uh, here, right? Like this is yes. so much a game Which I like about a lot. controlling uh, priority. Yeah, so the change of turn order is basically that instead of it's your whole squad goes and the enemy squad goes, it's uh, basically alternates, although if there's more or fewer enemies than are in your squad, then that changes. But in general, uh, the turn order is set. You see it on the side of the screen, and it took me a while, but you also can, so can see it directly on the uh, characters. They have little numbers next to them indicating where they are in the turn order status. Um, yeah, it- and the game gives you like a lot of power over the turn order. It's really something that you're manipulating a lot. Like when you breach, you get to decide who goes first, who goes second, and that carries over into the turn order. A lot of abilities do almost nothing or literally nothing other than mess with the turn order. Like I think it's Terminal uh, who has an ability called Pin Down that literally all it does is push an enemy away in the turn order. It doesn't do anything else. Uh, yeah. Which is- kind of highlights how important that little... Uh, initiative schedule actually is to this game which is the replacement for suppressing fire which is not actually in this game which sounds weird to XCOM fans I'm sure because that was just such a mandatory thing for so many fights but here it's been kind of board gamed out right it's uh it's a thing that the suppression actually just moves them over it doesn't like drop them by 30 percent or whatever suppressing fire did in XCOM 2 I think suppressing fire is just like it, like, gave them a penalty to attack and made you overwatch them if they did anything? Yeah. Um, they could yeah. only attack the person who was suppressing them without triggering the overwatch, and uh, it also, like, gave a pen- penalty to that attack as well. Yeah, so. and and overwatch has also, like, it's still here, but it's been vastly reduced. There are overwatch In... cones, which yeah. is awesome. Love the overwatch cones. Love me a cone. Yeah, the, it's been it's been really nice having two Overwatch cone games uh, to be going back and forth uh, these, yeah. these weeks. Uh, yeah, I mean, Gear, Gears Tactics is the other one for those who yeah don't expect that. That game been is basically those, but... the the cones of uh, Cinto yeah. <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, Overwatch Tactics is like it leans so hard. I just said Overwatch Tactics because that's what that game is in my mind. It's Gears Tactics leans so hard on the Overwatch cone, on, like, overwatching things is such a huge component of the game. Um, in Chimera Squad, like, Overwatch is here, and it has that change with the cone, so which is an effective nerf um, to what it was in XCOM 2, but it's nowhere near as important. You don't do it nearly as much. 
Yeah, it's like because you are playing essentially RPG characters who have all these skills, especially the deeper you get into the game, um, just sit there and wait for the enemy to do something isn't really like the best play a lot of the time. You have, you usually have something that you can do. And I like that you said Overwatch tactics because like in terms of the, you know, verb Overwatch, that's a very good description of like what Gears Tactics is. But in terms of the yeah. noun Overwatch, uh, XCOM SWAT here has like this, you know, pool of 11 characters who are all like this diverse chirpy group of people who kind of you know when they don't get along it's like amusing they're not you know fully at odds with one another but uh just giving them all these separate personalities that also tie into their abilities is this thing that really says you know here you are directly part of this fiction these characters are interesting and charming i mean they're not they're not like quite as fully fledged out as i might have wanted but for a relatively small scale game i think it works quite well um and like that's just a personality thing that's i think not necessarily the way that i want xcom to go at every point in the future but for a game like this i definitely like seeing it as a uh as a form that it is chosen yeah, I'm really interested in how, like, how Firaxis is thinking about the the new narrative elements here in terms of where XCOM goes in in the future. Because in XCOM Two, we had some pre-generated characters. Um, mm-hmm. If you play with like the the story campaign options on for War of the Chosen, you got you know a few characters that were pre-made um, into your squad, sort of mixing in with the with the procedural characters, but I would really like to see an XCOM where you still have procedural characters, but they have a greater degree of personality uh, and are able to sort of relate to each other and have, you know, real backstories and real origins and real places that they've gone, come from uh, rather than being kind of these blank slates that you have to impose your own narrative on you. But in Chimera Squad, <laughs> right? Um, Sorry, I... I kind of famously spent 200 hours making a mod of 100 different X-Men for XCOM 2, so. Yes. Um, And, of course, like in Chimera Squad, it's they've switched entirely to pre-generated characters, which is a thing that I definitely, like I said, on the back of the box copy, it kind of looks bad. It kind of feels like, oh, this is probably not going to be good. But it allows them two things, one one which is uh, just having a lot of more narrative cohesion and being able to give these uh, these play pieces a degree of personality that they've never had before in XCOM. And the other thing is that every single character is a unique class with unique abilities. Um, and that really... Like, that's a really good addition to the game for me, partly because it's really good for a small game to function that way. Uh, and partly because, you know, if you've got one of your one of your squad mates injured, or if you've committed them to some other task, then you don't have access to those abilities at all. And you have to think about what you're doing to compensate. Instead of it being like, you know, oh, okay, I'll send my one sniper off to do this, but I still have my other sniper uh, to take care of that role in actual missions. Well, yep. not sniper. This game is this game is severely downgraded the That's, idea of yeah. the sniper in a way that I think is actually healthy. Oh, I mean in, in XCOM 2, right? You would have oh, yes. you would have two snipers and you could send one off to do things and leave the other one to 
Yeah, right. Well, yeah, but, uh, I, I, but yeah, I in this game, there's no snipers in, in Camaro Squad. I, because it's all indoors. I think at some point we need to... We should do a show on snipers uh, at some point. Not like awesome ones or anything like that. Like, man, you know who you know who my sniper is? But I'm saying the concept of the sniper we should talk about at some point. Because it's a weird character class. And the, video games interpret the sniper... Uh, Weirdly and very flattering. Yes, yeah. yeah they, uh, they make it so that it feels like a mandatory part of the game when, like, you look at how tactics have evolved, and the sniper is just not that. It's been like a special thing that can maybe show up sometimes. Yeah, um, and that I think you know this Chimera Squad does pretty well. Like the closest to a sniper is Bloodshot, who's like the pistol wielding guy, but that's not you're, really you're... sniping in the same way. You're thinking of Blue Blood. I believe Bloodshot was a Rob Liefeld character from the 90s. <laughs> Same difference. <laughs> it sounds like a Rob Liefeld character. Okay. Uh, I, but, I think um, now to, to finish up, uh, like, one of the advantages of what Bruno was talking about, where these characters are uh, pre-created both narratively and in terms of the uh, things they can do, like probably the most unique character that they have here is Zephyr, who is like a former Advent soldier turned karate master who like goes and kicks everyone to death and yes. like is also Australian for whatever reason. But like that's not the sort of thing Isn't as that, much like as much customization her- you could as you could have in XCOM Two. You could not have a karate sector or advent <laughs> yeah you couldn't have a karate hybrid you could you couldn't have a, a snake on her team which you have now and she's fantastic yes she's uh she's probably my best character in the, my current campaign anyway what were yeah, you saying I- rob no i was i was just going to say i think there's a lot of things there's so many things in this game that had me looking askance at it like uh bruno you, you brought up a couple times like the thing, if you're sort of reading the back back of the box copy on this, like there's so many changes that I was super skeptical of, and it, I think it it mostly made me realize just how pr- rigid my definition of what an XCOM game would feel like has become across these two games. Um, and yeah. so, like everything at first felt like, oh, this is like the cut down discount version of XCOM, right? Like because it it reads in some ways as like the the sort of uh, smaller, narrower version of XCOM, right down to the fact that I realized like, oh, this whole game is just going to be the breaching thing isn't going to be like a thing that happens in some levels. The entire game is going to be here's another room, go through the door, and I had. Sometimes it's a window. <laughs> sometimes it's a vent. Though there's way too like so, guess- sometimes sometimes you're breaching out of a car because the mission is outdoors and they still have to have the breach mechanic, even yeah. though it no longer makes any sense. <laughs> That's very true. We've got to enter this intersection. Time to breach. Uh yeah, but it was one of those things that um Really quickly, I began to warm up to it because I do like a lot of these changes. I think one of the things that the Switch to having these specific character classes, that each of them does a different thing, it made me realize the degree to which I had gotten attached to somewhat rote lineups in XCOM, where like the idea was, look, the important thing is to make sure you have a bench of two or three snipers who have like near identical abilities. So that like if one gets hurt, you can just run the other one, the other mission, and like your game plan will still work. Uh, and that's you know that's, that's part of the game's dynamic. But what 
I kind of enjoy about uh, Chimera Squad. I think Gears Tactics does this well as, too. It's like sort of been a theme of this uh, of this sort of tactics spring, let's say. But one of the things I like here in Chimera Squad is that because each of these characters does a different thing, and then some of them are going to get hurt, and you'll have to have them go like rehab an injury to get a negative status status effect taken off of them. Uh, that means that those little tweaks in lineup can force really different game plans out of you. You have to think about different ways that these characters' abilities can interact and synergize. And I found puzzling that out and like discovering the possibilities of like a lineup that I hadn't really played around with much that like I didn't at first I didn't like because it wasn't like, oh, no, Torque is hurt. What the hell am I supposed to do without my snake lady? Like that, the, the snake lady was the hinge of the plan. Uh, <laughs> and now she's hurt. And like realizing that, oh, no, there's there's entirely like cool lines of play that are open when Cherub is in the lineup. Uh, and Cherub interacts in some really interesting ways with, uh, you know, God, who's the, um, who's the, uh, psychic who warps? Um, Uh, Shelter. Shelter, yeah. Uh, so, like, realizing those characters, like, can, can change these, these battlefield situations really profoundly, uh, was a lot of fun. It forced me out of some of the, really wrote tactics that I sometimes fell into with XCOM where like, you know, if, as long as I didn't pull too many pods at once, like my game plan in XCOM could be the same in one mission as it would the next here, based on who that lineup was, it kind of felt like relearning, not necessarily the game, but like relearning what the tactics of the game were. Well, one thing to say, and I have become like increasingly strident on this. I don't know. How much I talked about in previous XCOM podcasts, but the classes in XCOM 2 suck. They're really bad. They're just not good classes. Mm. They're like the least motivating thing about that game. I played that game so much, and like 90% of how much I played it was with a mod that did something different with classes. Do you Uh, include the, the War of the Chosen ones in that? Um, no, those are, those are reasonably interesting. No, the, the default four classes of the sniper. Sniper support and uh grenadier ranger um, yeah yeah um though there's just they just don't feel like complete they don't feel like they all fit together in the way where i can make the characters that i really want to make so yeah like i played a bunch of long war i played a bunch of war of the chosen with a, a mod that changed the classes to be more dynamic and diverse and uh until it, it, that started crashing, I really enjoyed it. But yeah, um, War of the or not War of the Chosen Chimera Squad does a really good job, as Rob said, of trying to make each character fit in a different way and a way that I don't know. I haven't found a useless character yet. Well, there's yeah, that one um, dude who sits back at HQ, uh, and. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do you do here exactly? So everyone else goes out on the missions. What's your I, job? I like that they have a male Cortana, though. Yeah, you know, that's a good point. That's uh, that's somewhat not. I mean, obviously the XCOM games have Bradford, but he was like also a commander. This dude is just the guy who talks. Uh, speaking of the. Just the the fictional rapper for this, I think there's 
there's a couple things about it that uh, I, I really dig. One, I just enjoy how much flavor is in this world now. Um, there have been some implied yeah. in the early, like occasionally Tygen would say something that was like, what the fuck in the best possible way. But for the most part, like, uh, world building was a little bit in the background, not particularly overwhelming in XCOM 2. There's a lot of good world building here. And there's also a lot of like funny gags. Like, I'm sorry, but the, the gag about, uh, big crunch cereal big crunch just is fucking fantastic. demolished me. It was so good. Yeah. <laughs> Put it in warm milk. It activates the larval sacs. Yeah, no, I uh it like there's there's a lot of there's a lot of good stuff there and I also think it it does something back when Austin and I were playing more of this game on on uh Waypoint streams, one of the things that Austin brought up a few times was that it gets any anytime you start building a fantasy or sci-fi world where like there's uh like racial destiny for like what a character is going to be like what a what a sentient being of this of the species is going to be it can it it gets into dicey territory real fast but it also it also sort of uh provides a bit of a like on the one hand, you are told, okay, these are actual, like, alien societies we're engaging with. But also, all the guys with the big eggheads and the large eyes are like this. This is, this is, what, this, this is what these characters are like. Um, it's kind of cool to see Chimera Squad say, like, actually, no. Like, these, these archetypes you ran into were sort of the enslaved, uh, genetically modified soldiers that the Advent created. Now we're going to remove that and like here's what the here's what the alien species of this world actually look like, and yeah, admittedly, you know they're just people, uh, including the fact that there appears to be like a sectoid Alex Jones uh, <laughs> broadcasting in City Thirty One. But nevertheless, I think it's it's kind of. It's kind of cool that, like, we've now advanced the clock in XCOM where it's no longer, oh, we need a big beefy enemy. Look, it's a muton. Now we're now we're in a place where it's like, no, actually, there's there's now now like Earth just has a society full of aliens, and everyone is like learning to live in this post-advent reality and post being overrun with like genetically modified super soldiers. I think it's cool for XCOM to get to a place like this, to get to a place where the aliens are not just stand-ins for some kind of tactical archetype, but are now like characters and part of the setting in a way that they weren't before, or before they were just invaders. I think my favorite example of like three of the different things you said was there's a conversation between, I believe, Verge, who is the sectoid psychic, and Axiom, who's the mutant you or the muton you can get. And uh, Axiom gets asked, like, did you get a cat? And I'm like, why are they talking about getting a cat? And like, as the dialogue goes on, it's about like how every muton was given a cat in order to try to like learn empathy. But Axiom didn't need it because he had demonstrated the ability to to use empathy but like verge is the sectoid who is also one of the aliens trying to like you know be within this hybrid society uh was like curious to know how these how these other people had like gotten in on being the being like a good citizen of the new earth and uh that was just you know entertaining and like 
really good little bit of writing about like, okay, what does happen after the war against the enslaved genetically engineered evil beings? I mean, this is not, this is not a high bar to clear, but Chimera Squad is nailing it better than Falling Skies did, let us say. <laughs> uh, but, I, I, and there's also just, um, there's a funny bit there in the background. Okay, so there's a fair bit of cannibalism humor in XCOM to begin with, uh, but there is kind of a funny subplot of, like, what the Advent have fed their various, uh, like, slave societies through the years. And there's, like, a weird politics of resentment around who was being processed into food most recently. And so there's a lot of humans who are furious that, like, at, until like until the advent were overthrown, like, a lot of humans were being turned into, like, food for the various uh, other species in the advent army. And you uncover just, like, there's these, like, lore dumps in the, in the successful mission debrief text uh, that give you a bit of background on, like, the place you were just at and, like, how it connects to the, the history of the XCOM universe. But there's, like, cool little, like, you know, lore note about uh, you see a couple characters. It's a dialogue between a couple characters arguing over like who, like the culpability of these other Advent societies for like eating humans. And finally, one of the uh, you know one of the aliens cuts off the discussion with like, "Look, you aren't the first. You aren't the first species that's been part of an Advent recipe." Okay. And like just the 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 funny through line of like oh yeah no the advent just feed feed one enslaved society to the to the next uh, as as they roll through and then in the wake of that that becomes a weird political sticking point. Uh, it's I don't know it's it there's the game is f full of sort of these these fun things you can glimpse in the background. Yeah, I, I think this is also like it, it's building off of like the gaps in XCOM two, but it's also partially that XCOM 2 did the really intelligent thing of having you canonically have lost in XCOM 1 yeah. and making that a much more interesting uh, um, setting and potential place for narrative. It just did it as like a grand epic uh, war story and not like a smaller scale thing where we can get into these details much more. Yeah, Chimera Squad is like zoomed in and so it can get into those little details I love the fact that sectoids can't eat anything other than like this heavily processed slurry that's specifically designed for their very minimal digestive system. It's constantly like reinforcing this idea that the world has been dramatically changed. Uh, the the way that you know you can go into a mission and there's gonna be like snake and sectoid and mutant civilians like just hanging out and behaving exactly like the human civilians. It, it definitely like builds a much more sort of cohesive world than XCOM 2, which had that very zoomed out view of everything. Now, the other part of this is, um, so you're also set up as a police force, but maybe more specifically a special counterterrorism uh organization yeah, yeah let's and... get into the bad parts of the fiction yeah then. yeah uh <laughs> so this is yeah this is kind of the war on terror has come to XCOM. is that is that fair rowan i i there's a lot of like you know um 
what's his name? Uh, Alec Baldwin in the departed stuff here where he's like, fuck yeah, I love the Patriot act. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, that's definitely a feeling that I get out of this game. Like I continue with the intro, but the, I have a very early example that you get. No, I mean that, that basically, that basically was the, the intro, yeah. right? Is like what you're set up with here at the start is there is some kind of, there is a terrorist conspiracy trying to derail the fragile peace that reigns in city 31 and demonstrate these, like these societies can't live and live together uh, and sort of set off a, uh, you know, a wave of ethnic cleansing basically in, in city 31. And your team's job is to figure out who is actually behind this conspiracy. Like that, that is the arc here is like figure out what the conspiracy actually looks like and then prevent it from carrying out its objectives. Um, yeah. And Ron, I think that might set you up for where you want to go with this. Yeah. And then, and then the first thing you get is the director of XCOM comes to you and she's like, Hey, so there are these three organizations that are criminals here and we don't know which one of them might be doing things. And we can technically say that they're like, doing illegal enough things that XCOM can go after them. So I want you to go after all of them on this technicality and hopefully we'll find something later. And then you just go room to room and murder people. Yeah, the the investigation is like just carving a path through these organizations. Yeah. Uh, until you get to the point where you figure out what their actual motivation is. And maybe it's kind of sad. Maybe it's just bad. But, you know, you've already carved a path. You already yeah. have the, the yeah, trench yeah. of gore behind you. It, um, it feels like, as you, you know, it. it feels like how they use the Patriot Act to say, oh, these eco-terrorists are the real problem. And it's like, that's not who this was designed to catch. But I'm glad that you're using, like, all of your extrajudicial power to attack anybody who seems like they might break the law at any point. Um, but Yeah, I think that, like, in the fiction, the actual mandate you have is that you're part of this offshoot of XCOM called Reclamation. Mm -hmm. whose job is to go get all of the dangerous alien technology that Advent just left lying around and collect it, which is, you know, virtually everything is dangerous alien technology in this world, right? Everybody's got, you know, presumably a plasma rifle, like, buried in their backyard or something. Yeah. So you basically can say, this organization is a terrorist and we're going to take all of them down. Like, that's the first choice you have in the game after the tutorial. Pick which, which of these three gangs is actually terrorists. Um, so that yeah, that was a little weird. It, On the other hand, oh, go ahead. No, it, it, just to explain, it's it's structured as like three little mini campaigns, and you're yeah. just taking them in any order. Yeah, and each of them has their own like types of enemies, which is neat. Like you, like in one of them, you go up against like robots and hybrids and that kind of thing, and then another one, it's like you're going against like the core muton snake at or. Alien troops that you might have gone up against in XCOM 2. And uh, that's like, yeah, it's put together it's fairly a, well. It's just the fiction it, is a little. It is. The fiction a is a little taste iffy, in the mouth. Yeah. But anyway, I was going to ask did you guys get the, the Jane Kelly joke? No. Uh, I think so, I had it like explained to me that she's like the, the. No, go ahead and explain it. Yeah, she's um, the. Uh, she's the director of Reclamation, or maybe XCOM as a whole, I wasn't entirely clear, but uh, she's, like, stepped into the main, like, leader role that you were supposedly playing as the commander in XCOM 1 and 2, and uh, 
She is the tutorial character who survives from XCOM 2 if you're playing it with the tutorial on, which was apparently a running joke in the game where some people said that they could find, like, Jane Kelly-specific dialogue when you, like, went to go fight the Chosen. They were like, oh, the famous Jane Kelly is here. Uh, so that's a very cute little, uh, a cute little you know, nod to a particular section of how that game was played, where uh, she is the the veteran who rose up the ranks and uh, made it to the top. Yeah, the whole thing I is filled with some dialogue like that. that, like, implies that she has unresolved trauma about getting her entire squad, well, not getting her entire <laughs> squad killed, but about her entire squad getting killed in that one mission. I've not seen that yet, but that would make sense. Yeah, I think she has, like, a conversation with Torque that seems to reference that. And Torque was like, yeah, I executed one of your buddies. It was awesome. Uh, yeah, the, the other thing I wanted to ask you, ask y'all about was, um, so in terms of like the, the tactical battles themselves, I think that one of the questions I had is just, does the, did did it ever feel like confining or claustrophobic to you? Like I think on the one hand, sort of these discrete tactical battles that can feel it certainly sharpens the uh it cuts out a lot of the just cruft of an XCOM mission, right? Like so yeah, much of XCOM I... is just like go forward ten feet. Anyone there? No. Alright, everybody overwatch. Hang out. Let's move forward ten more feet. Uh it cuts all of that out. But at the same time, it also means that all the missions, to me at least, feel a little bit like knife fight in a phone booth, uh, XCOM. Yeah. I mean I feel like because they they've changed the the ability kit that you have, you know, there's no snipers anymore. Like that's the big salient example. Um that feels a little bit less of an issue because you're never you're never given anything that is like you know oh only fire this outdoors when you have plenty of space like those abilities just aren't there yeah so the game never really feels cramped um i generally really like the smaller sort of more pointed encounters they the one of the things that the new initiative system does is that it lets you uh, engage more enemies at once without overwhelming the player which uh, previously it was it was kind of a problem, right? There was kind of a a much stricter limit on how many enemies could be engaged at one time without the without the combat just becoming too either too difficult to track or for a player or simply like too imbalanced with you know these or just boring with these huge enemy turns where they're going to be moving you know ten twelve enemies doing individual things. You know, someone um, hasn't played the Long War. We're talking thirty. Yeah, I have not played the long war. <laughs> uh, I I like my wars like short and, const- and constrained. Sorry, um, the in in Chimera Squad because of the new initiative system, you can have these bigger encounters that still feel manageable. Um, so I think that it does a lot of things to like make the smaller scale work for itself. I never really felt like oh, this is just kind of weird and cramped and bad. It never really occurred to me. So my thing is that it's less that the the tactical battles themselves are feel too cramped or whatever, but more what that ends up doing over time, which is that, like, the further I play this game, the more repetitive all of the 
reach, kill, move yeah. on kinds of things tend to feel. Even even though there are good things, like the tactical aspect of you shifting different units in and out and doing different things. But, um, you know, I think this also still has the kind of weird XCOM difficulty spikes issue, uh, especially that earlier in the game, before you get all your abilities, these things do turn into these, like, dragged out knife fights. And later in the game, once you, like, have a really good grasp on your abilities you like end up just being able to see a room knock all the enemies down it doesn't really matter what the enemies are there for or are doing it's it doesn't even feel like a puzzle a lot of the time unless you have like something that's a specifically very well designed encounter um that said, there have been some changes that I have noticed in that, particularly when I started the missions involving the chrysalids. Uh, but yeah, just in general, I've found myself losing some motivation because everything ended up just being like, okay, here are the enemies on the breach, knock out the ones who are going to shoot you first, then, you know, take out whatever the biggest threat happens to be next, and then, you know, move on whatever feels most efficient and that most efficient tend to, to go in the same direction. And like, this goes to a bigger, the bigger issue I have, which is that Chimera Squad is really neat because it's XCOM without the mess, but Chimera Squad also feels a little bit lacking because it's XCOM without the mess. I love the mess. Like the, these are giant, wildly ambitious games that don't entirely succeed. And there's a lot of, bullshit in there that I had to try to mod out, but when I managed to get it in the way that I wanted, you know, these are some of my favorite games of all time. Chimera Squad is really neat. I like it. Uh, but yeah, it's it answers a lot of the questions that I had with XCOM and XCOM 2 and answers them in a way that makes it simpler and like a little bit less, a lot less ambitious and a little bit less interesting. But again, as a medium-sized XCOM, uh, that's great. I love that it exists. Uh, it's just not inherently the way that I want the entire series to go. I think there are definitely yeah, good I things mean, that can be learned from it. You mentioned chrysalids, and I think the one thing where this game is a little lacking is that it never really gives you a nemesis. There's never an, an enemy that shows up and you're like, oh, I do not like this. Right? It, the XCOM always had those those enemy types that were designed in such a way to really frustrate the player and to really make you completely change how you think about an engagement just because they're around. And in a Chimera Squad, there's a couple of bosses that are kind of like that, but you don't really encounter, you know, there's one, you don't really encounter gatekeepers, you don't really encounter sectopods, chrysalids are a lot less threatening. And so you're in this position overall where like everything feels a little bit more manageable and more digestible in a way that make me make some things too digestible. Yeah. Uh, I definitely noticed what you said about uh, difficulty spikes with not on my first campaign when I started the second one uh, and I had a completely different uh, lineup because when you start a second campaign with the tutorial disabled you can you know start with whatever set of uh, whatever squad you want so I deliberately picked the the three that I had left on the table in my first campaign and I ended up with a squad that didn't have any disabling abilities on it so because I didn't have verge and I didn't have torque and as a result, I definitely found a couple of early missions a lot more uh, challenging. I think that the one thing where the game has balance issues is that it leans so hard 
on this idea of being able to disable enemies, inflict stuns, you know, use Stark's bind ability and things like that, that if you're completely missing that, you can feel a little bit hobbled in a way that isn't necessarily the... It doesn't feel too much like the intended way to play. It feels like very specific that Verge is a, a mandatory starting game, uh, squad member on your first mission in the first campaign that you play. Yeah, I I definitely noticed some things like that when I tried the non-tutorial version, although I ended up doing better, but that was because like I knew how the economics of the game tended to work a little bit easier um i also played on hard so that you know you mess up in those earlier missions it shows up a lot more um also learning to play without terminal that one's fun yeah terminal Mm. is very required for like the longer missions which which was it was always the case in xcom that you need the healer for the the long uh, story missions but you know this game makes it so that you have exactly one healer ever yeah, which is a little weird because there are, what, 11 characters, but only one of them fills that particular role, where most of the others have kind of, you know, like Axiom and Cherub both fill the, the Breach role, but uh, there's only one terminal. Yeah, you can you can give other characters medicates yeah. as, like, a, a patch on it, but it's not... And so much of this game is like terminal is a v- yeah. yeah. Terminal is a very powerful healer. Uh, especially because like her heals are unlimited, she can she can just if you want she can heal every single turn, and shoot, and shoot. Yeah, that's that's the really powerful thing. She yeah. can do both. She's also the most fun character I found, except maybe Torque. Hmm. Yeah, like, Terminal is very fun. Hmm. I I have the strongest feeling about that, which is no term. Terminal is the character that's supposed to feel like the most fun. Terminal is the sassy <laughs> character. Uh, but mm, best character, I don't know if I go that far. Um, have you seen the the dialogue that she has where she tries to get Zephyr to say Jabberwock? No. See. Okay. That's okay. <laughs> that's. Uh, I, I, I will say, uh, but to the point about like medikits, I think one of the other things about this, in addition to every character being really specific, is this is really a game about like tailoring your gear to the mission and tailoring your gear yeah. to the strategies available to you. This is an endearingly absurd XCOM in some ways in terms of the gadgetry that like in keeping with the overall Saturday morning cartoon vibe of the show uh, of this of this game in some ways, it also has like ridiculous uh james bondian like really specific use case like magic gadgets available uh in particular like they have a grenade for every mood and feeling uh you know there there is the there's a smoke grenade okay sure that does what next kind of smoke grenade does uh but then there's also like the ceasefire grenade it's a grenade that turns off people's guns later there's the turncoat grenade which basically like causes uh enemy characters to turn against each other uh if they stand within its cloud and it's a little it it's it's not a little goofy it's a lot goofy uh i'll be with you all the way through all your ridiculous like tiers of sci-fi weaponry XCOM, but the minute you start getting to like Q in his lab bringing out the ah well this little baby convinces uh you know convinces your enemies that their their friends are their enemies, uh it it gets a little silly, but I also think it makes itemization 
part of the setting up for the mission in a way that again like previous previous XCOM games I did a little bit of that but by and large the name of the game was just making sure that I kept unlocking the next tier of armor and, and firearms uh, available to everybody. And which then, is which is still a thing here, but yeah, the, the utility items are a lot more important, uh, especially because they grenades are now a free action to throw, which makes them vastly more important because they're no longer competing with your actual abilities or attacks. Yeah, and, and like the ability again, like so many of these grenades, the ability to control what is possible on the enemy turn or uh, to like force that to cut off courses of action uh is is hugely important uh yeah the thing we haven't talked about much and another thing i wanted to say about grenades yeah. is that because of the the new timeline system like if you can flashbang the two next enemies who are going next yeah and like bridge yourself to the next to your next player turn that's a lot bigger of an impact on the encounter overall than just flashbanging two random enemies and it's going to matter when the alien turn comes around um the one thing that is amusing to me is the very transparent like gameplay thing of, oh, there's the ceasefire grenade and the ceasefire bomb, which is the bomb that you can throw during a breach, whereas during actual fighting you can throw the grenade and there's all these like reduplications of the items because of the, the breach mechanic. Yeah, and also like some of the skills, like Torque has, uh, she got a poison spit fig and I was like, oh, I'm excited to use that tactically, but no, that was during the breach, but then... Uh, Level four, she gets poison spit to use tactically, and they have different names. Yeah. But uh, it just seemed weird that like I had to figure out which was which. One thing we haven't talked about too much, and I, you know, before we wrap up, I want to take people's temperature on it: uh, the campaign structure. Uh, here we're sort of back to a almost XCOM one mode where you're basically keeping various districts from falling into anarchy and such. Uh, and as districts begin to slide out of control, then the city begins moving along the anarchy tracker toward uh, its fail condition. And you, and you have your choice <clears throat> each day what missions to send your squad, squad out on. And uh, you also have options to build uh, field teams in each district to sort of respond to whatever. You, this, it's, this is weird. Like, it's like, okay, you're a police force, and you need to deploy field teams to this district. And this field team can produce money. And I'm like, is that just a shakedown? Like the, the X cops like running a protection racket in uh in in parts of City Thirty One, but beyond that, what do like is this campaign successful? Like, is it a good is it a good structure for a campaign? Um, I think so to a, to an extent. I think that the strategy layer in this game feels like almost vestigial. It's definitely like made very very thin and very very straightforward to push the focus more onto the tactical side, which I think is fine, especially for a smaller game. Like, I, I don't think this game would work nearly as well if the strategy layer was trying to be as sophisticated and as complex as the tactics layer. Um, I do think that the, the way it actually plays out, it's not very well balanced. There's definitely some options that are way better than others. The economy has, uh, feels sort of 
dead ends in it where you can end up accumulating a lot of a resource that you have no use for anymore. Like, uh, the way Illyrium matters in this game is that you buy research options with Illyrium. So in the late game, all of your Illyrium income becomes useless as you can no longer research things. Um, so there's a lot of that. It definitely feels uh, moderately janky. It's not the greatest, most impressive strategy layer I've ever seen. But it's also not terrible, if that makes any sense. Yeah. It just... It kind of fulfills its purpose, which is to get you from one tactical mission to another and to give you a few choices about how you're going to deploy your different units and whether they're going to be available for this or that mission and what you're going to prioritize in terms of buying new equipment. Well, this is you know one of the general things that I've said and I think most of the other panelists have agreed with, but like if you have a game that is divided between two forms or two functions, uh, like a tactical and a strategic layer, like you pretty much always have to have one of those be prioritized and one of them be complementary. And yeah. um, some of the time XCOM 1 and 2 could fail at that by having the strategic mode be a place where you could lose the game and not realize it for like 5 or 10 hours. And uh, this game, like, you can sort of mess it up at the very beginning if you're playing on a high enough difficulty level and don't know that how to cancel things, which I didn't, but that was okay because I got to start a new game with totally different squaddies. Um, but other than that, this game, like the campaign mode is pretty much entirely complementary, Um, and you know, I think that it ends up being slightly more successful than the tactics mode being simplified, but the campaign mode has been simplified, you know, at roughly the same level. And, uh, a lot of the, I had no idea that I totally fucked that up stuff is just gone and that's fine. That is, that is, you can pretty much in most cases where you have some sort of strategic deficiency quickly work to try to fix that. And that's cool. Good job. Um, I'd also like, speaking of the structure, as I mentioned that like each of the three different investigations that you do involves totally different enemies um and you still get like some of the other enemies and like random missions but like just having that focus be like okay you know now i'm fighting robots cool uh that's uh that gives a lot more variety than uh i might have expected it to yeah there's like uh there's like a selection of generic enemies that can show up anywhere mm-hmm but mostly you're fighting the the faction specific enemies and it gives each faction like significantly different flavor uh you know for example like with the robot enemies um they're vulnerable to different things and they really change your uh like your squad composition calculations because obviously they're immune to psionics but there is the one character that can shock them or reprogram them and they become much more important for that yeah, and they also have that self-destruct thing. That's neat. Oh yeah, yeah the tough. the new like little android robots. It's really fun to like mind control one and then use the self-destruct against the opponent. 
You, um, can, you can mind control them. I genuinely, I never even tried. I was like, "That's not that's not a human. That's 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 a robot. That's a droid." Um, you can you can reprogram them with patchwork. Okay, them. okay, okay. But not like you can't verge the. I was like, I don't think I've ever tried no. You, verge verge well, cannot they, interact with the. Androids. They are androids and not robots. So, no. Yeah, but that feels like XCOM is just wrong. I think at this yeah. point, there's a common <laughs> usage for what is an android, and it's data. <laughs> Or it's Ash. Uh, um, I mean, I think they're just called androids because they're like humanoid shaped. That's that's the only reason. But the, otherwise, they're just like robots. Should I call them but androids? Robots is like then. a more generic terms. <laughs> um, there was one other thing I wanted to say that's not on the campaign. Did you have what stuff you wanted to say about that, Rob? I just. I think it might hang together better than most of their campaigns. Like, mind you, clearing the XCOM yeah. two bar is not hard. I think the X, I think the XCOM mm-hmm. two campaign is straight up bad. Uh, I don't think interesting things happen on that campaign layer, and I don't think it really hangs together as a campaign where like one decision you make drives action in in, in an interesting way. I think I think the original game did that even better than than. Uh, or than XCOM 2. But I think in terms of a strategic the player that game makes you sense. Mean XCOM 2015, yeah. right? Uh but in terms of a strategic layer that like makes sense and ties at least somewhat in a way that's clear to me uh to what's happening in missions, like this might be as tight as I've seen a modern XCOM game hang together. Yeah. Yeah, the the like dramatic simplification really makes it feel a lot more put together than with uh with XCOM 2 where there's like dozens of things going on in the campaign at once. This is your... sort of orthogonally to each other. This is your biannual play Long War 2, Rob. Oh, is that good? I should give that a try. <laughs> I'll yeah, get ar- I'll um... get around to it. Don't worry about it. If you get if you ever get a lull in you know anything happening in the world, it's a good time to try Long War Two. Um, now the thing I wanted to say is like going talking about difficulty and some of the messiness of XCOM and XCOM Two was uh, always that if you fucked up and moved your soldier one step too far, and the enemies just like killed him in one or two shots. That was something that could like mess up your entire campaign and probably the biggest frustration and why yeah. I ended up going to save scumming in later campaigns and almost all the uh, XCOMs that I played. Um, that is a thing that has largely been resolved by how they have the embedded characters in this because like those characters aren't going to instantly die all of them always get put in a bleed out phase point. and most of the time you are like in a breach where you know how many characters you have how many rooms you have ahead of you and you can decide like what what are we doing about the what are we doing about this is it a fair time to restart the encounter or is it a time where i need to uh like just press forward with my little robot buddy instead, or is it just, this is the last room. It doesn't matter. I mean, it does matter strategically because they get the wounds, but um, in general, that question, which was the big annoying, that was like the point of where everything about XCOM and XCOM two came together in an annoying way was 
my guys just die too quickly. Um, this one just doesn't have that. And uh, like if the character bleeds out or if some, an enemy drops a grenade on them, uh, then you just have to restart the mission. Um, but those things are extremely rare. You usually have enough control over the situation that like, no, the, if you have a character get knocked out, then that's a bad thing that you might have to deal with at the strategic layer. But it is not like the slow death of a campaign that you don't realize. Yeah. Also, there's just way less hidden information waiting to like trip you up. Because in this game, there's no... You can't, like, move one soldier to flank and accidentally uh, trigger another pot of enemies and just have your entire turn get ruined, right? This can't happen in Chimera Squad. The game is just not set up for that. You have... So it's a lot easier to just accept that, you know, oh, this character got down, but that was my fault. I I made a mistake. Instead of, oh, there was no way I could have known that there were, like, there was, you know, an extra sectopod hanging out uh, towards the other end of the map. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, limits the excitement somewhat, but also limits the potential pain, which was often a much bigger issue. That's an interesting point. I hadn't really... Yeah, because on the one hand, if you asked me, I would have said, like, no, it's important that, like, soldiers can get killed in XCOM missions because, like, that's part of the drama. But it sucks. And when they actually do die, a lot of times that's my cue to be like, well, this mission, this mission is scrubbed, right? The only losses that I tend to eat in the XCOM campaign are, like, okay, we were fighting a boss battle or it was, like, some nightmarish plot mission and, like, you know, six troopers went in. Four made it out, but to not do that mission again, I will take the I will I will take those two casualties. That's that's the battle tech way as well. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, Behemoth, but I was not ever doing that uh, slog in the uh, mining colony ever again. Yeah, that and, and letting Decker die as soon as he dies because you know he's just gonna die in the next mission anyway. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, like What's the that opposite was... of plot armor. Yeah, that 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 was, you know, that's the core issue. That's why I always bring up, like, is, are the new XCOMs RPGs or are they war games? And they, they have always tilted towards RPGs that have, like, this this built-up, uh, you know, kind of strategic tactical layer around them that makes it seem like more like they're strategy games. But you lose the wrong character at the wrong time, and that's just like a slow march to death. And... That's right. And once you not... realize that, you will never play it naively again. Once you realize, like, oh, I can't eat that. Or or it makes the game much less fun when you run into that enemy difficulty spike and all of a sudden you're, you know, forced to deal with that or your save scumming constantly. Like, these, these things are all messy. And this is, you know, something that a game like Darkest Dungeon, which knows exactly mm. what its difficulty is, knows exactly what the sort of game it is, like, does so much better. And hey, Chimera Squad has a lot of Darkest Dungeon in it. Yeah, but... Darkest Dungeon wants to punch you in the gut more than Chimera Squad does. Oh, it does. But the thing with Darkest Dungeon is, like, 
you you lose a character or you lose a whole squad, you don't go back in time strategically. Like, XCOM will punish you strategically for your tactical mistakes. Darkest Dungeon is like, no, the tactics are where it's hard. Strategically is just whatever. Um, Chimera Squad is obviously the reverse of that, where you actually do have a strategic layer that you can die on. But because it knows exactly like you are doing these breaches and you are doing one to three breaches per mission. And that is and the way that you will be punished is that even if you succeed, your soldiers might be wounded and need to go rest. Like those sorts of things all feel much more like a darkest dungeon dungeon than they do an XCOM mission which is to its benefit overall. Although what I would prefer is that, you know, XCOM keep that wild ambition and just make your characters not quite so fragile when they're also so important. Make it more like Battletech. But I don't, I don't hate Chimera Squad's, you know, answers to those questions. Yeah, especially because, like, having to remove the scar, like, it is a meaningful consequence that will, like, often, it will put me behind the eight ball a little bit for a mission, uh, but then I can sort of get back on the power curve. Yeah, so I do, I do like that. I underestimated the degree to which uh, that was key to my enjoyment, but it's a very, it is a very smart change from from XCOM. Uh I'm about yeah, I think that the the scar mechanic it does more in terms of forcing you to use different lineups yeah. than it does in actually punishing you. Um, it's I think I one ran of those things where troops like once or twice really like once once you got a decent bench you don't really need to do that as much. Yeah, I I think for one specific mission I ran terminal with like a mobility scar, and it was actually kind of a nightmare because yeah, she, but- she couldn't move anywhere. It it was awful. The, the I felt really bad for her and for myself. The mobility scar is probably actually the worst. You'd think it would be HP, and that one's not good. But yeah, HP and mobility are the ones where I'm like, again, I'm playing on hard, so I get them probably a lot more than you you all do. But uh, yeah, like dodge, I'm not a fan of not going, but I'll run a character with a messed up dodge, unless it's like Zephyr. Um, Will, like, I have never had a character break. Um, and like some the mind control thing is just kind of a thing that either happens or doesn't. I don't actually see the numbers on that, so maybe I should pay more attention, but like yeah, the mobility is just god no. You have to you have to be able to move. Uh so that's about everything I have for for Chimera Squad. I'm curious if there's any like last things you wanted to hit before uh before we call it. Any good goofs? Any any good radio chatter you wanted to cite? Any uh, any really petty complaints? The stuff that you know must have been written six months or a year ago about the plague showing up is a little uh, excessively timely. Um, I mean, I think that one thing we do have to talk about is the the ways in which this game is a little janky. Uh, which is standard so, for XCOM, but it yeah. definitely was pretty bad. See, for me, I, I think I was largely lucky with that. Like, I've seen a lot of people having, like, issues with bugs. I think the worst thing that happened to me was, um... Okay, there, there's one thing where, where is, uh... It might have been because I was playing Gears Tactics at the same time, which is a left-click game predominantly. Uh, so I might have been giving wrong commands uh, occasionally, but it did feel like... 
there's a lot of times where I would be trying to target someone with a power, but I just wanted to select a character to look look at what was up with them, and then the power would just fire, and it wouldn't give me the uh like like I did not feel like I had given the command to like use the power. It had just cut to that, or I would click on a character, and my character would just move. Like I'd been selecting a power, and my character would just walk, uh, which could scupper a mission. Uh, but I think the worst thing that happened to me was like literally once a row of squares just stopped existing in a battle. Like, <laughs> like I would, like there were squares uh, around the back of a car that had been active a moment earlier, and I was going to use that to like escape a mission, and then. Uh, they just stopped being viable places that I could put my troops. Like they just didn't exist as far as the UI went. That was the worst that happened to me, though. Beyond that, I had a pretty okay experience. I encountered a bug which uh, deleted all of the equipment from a character, like completely. It would be gone from uh, storage, and you can end up with a character that didn't have like valid armor on. So that required like reloading a significantly earlier save, and that was. Pretty a pretty big bummer, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I also found a few issues with like I don't know that this is necessarily a bug, but if you let a, a district get to maximum chaos uh, and it just gets like five uh, unrest or whatever, it'll pop up a, a special mission that to just lower unrest, and those missions are like very unrewarding and difficult, and they're kind of like a, a mini punishment for letting the situation get out of control or whatever. But you also have this strategic layer ability that lets you just lower district unrest outright. So a couple of times I used that, and then the district would promptly, like, next turn, pop back up to max unrest, and you would just get the 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 city anarchy track incrementing anyway, uh, as if the game was like, no, 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 this, this isn't supposed to actually work that way. You have to go do the mission. And yeah, that I, I, I kind of like irritating. that, actually. <laughs> I kind of... I don't necessarily hate that as a design choice it just feels like yeah, it should, should be better communicated yeah they, they probably should shouldn't let, let you try to use the ability if it's not going to do anything yeah that's that's the bigger thing i found like probably the biggest bugs i've had are where the game just like you know the camera just stops for like five or ten seconds and then eventually it works again but like yeah there's communicating things is a is an issue with the game i saw somebody tweeting complaining about what i believe was the uh, final gray phoenix investigation which is a mission where there is like a big boss guy who's a, a heavily armed muton and like the the like kind of side thing going on in the mission is that if any enemy goes and stands in the controls for a spaceship you're on that spaceship will launch and you will lose the game um and this guy would like automatically go run over to that and he had so many hit points and so much armor and there were so many other guys who would be attacking you that if he did that he was like almost impossible to to knock out without your troops being killed by you know the other enemies at the flanks and what i found was that if you shoot him before he moves with like one of your first couple characters uh then it activates like the muton or the praetorian uh like dual skill which kind of forces him to attack the characters that you have and not move to the place where he'll end the game automatically and like 
I don't know what the dual skill does. It just shows up when you shoot a Praetorian or sometimes um, they activate got, it on their own. And yeah, there's no like tooltip that explains it. And, you know, it's easy to like forget or not notice the one time only tutorial that explains what it does. What it does is actually it makes it so the, the Praetorian and whoever character it's dueling can never miss each other with a shot. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure if that was that skill then that actually did it, but like, you had to shoot that character so that he wouldn't move and there was nothing that said that like yeah if you shoot him then he will avoid doing the thing that ends your game and that's just like yeah there there are little messy communication things like that i talked with fraser about one and this is the thing that had me restart my first campaign where like I had sent a character out on a special ops and sent a character into training to lose a scar. And then I only had three characters left and you can't send the APC out with only three characters. I thought I could with three characters in the robot. And I didn't know that you could just move the characters from the things that you sent them out. You could just cancel the special ops thing and uh, like losing those three days actually made me uh like put me behind the campaign at a level where I just wanted to restart and apparently that was totally unnecessary. So yeah, there's a lot of little communication things that could be better. I don't that those aren't quite bugs, but those are uh rough around yeah, the, the edges. The things. game generally feels like it has like the UI is a little bit rough in places. Um it's nef it's definitely not enough that I would say, oh this game is not not very playable uh until it gets fixed, but it's definitely enough to bring up. I guess. I mean, yeah. it's also par for the course for XCOM uh, at this point. Yes. So maybe, like, maybe I, I didn't even mention. I, I didn't I, even mention all of the like action cam pointing in the wrong direction, going to the wrong place, lingering for too oh, long, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, let me tell you, action just, cam like that in the constrained environments of Chimera Squad, the action cam has never looked worse. Yeah, yeah, yeah the, the action cam. The action cam is having a very difficult time right now and is trying its best. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot of crates, there's a lot of tiny rooms that the action cam is just is just like literally I think the the real like this is how rough it is. During the breaches, I think you are supposed to see the character who you are controlling as they go through the door. Almost never do you actually see which character you're controlling? You just have to go by what the toolbar is uh, for the for the abilities you have, because usually the cameras lodge somewhere inside their head, and uh, like what you've got is a t faint translucent filter on the uh, on the action where their face would probably be. Like it's it's rough. Um, I I have not had that. That sounds hilarious. Oh, yes. I, dude, sometimes I never see them. Yeah. So, sometimes it de sometimes it definitely misses on where the camera should be, but like I'm use my campaign, I've got Axiom as my main door breacher, and like he's pretty hard to miss. Like the camera, the camera gets his his first move right. The rest we'll see. Yeah, I, I ended up in a place where Verge a lot of times was one of my uh, first two in because that levitate, you know, when you just hoist them in the air and let people pop off. Uh, you got to be yet to get the most out of that. Got to be early in the in the order. Uh, but anyway, that will do it for Chimera Squad. We'll be back next week with more strategy discussion. Uh, before we go, uh, Rowan, any good content from you this week uh, that, that people should check out? 
Um, my Twitter feed at Rowan Kaiser is lots of great jokes about Neil Gaiman and Amanda Palmer that will be hilarious, <laughs> like, you know, for the next three hours. Oh, hell yeah. Just some bangers. Yeah. Uh, Bruno, what about you? Uh, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at not Bruno again. I don't particularly recommend it, but, um, <laughs> I, I feel like, you know, we're all making bad decisions right now in our lives, so might as well go and do it. I got a puppy. She's rioting right now. <laughs> so we'll see. Uh, this episode was produced by Keith Carberry. He was the head of host on the Idle Thumbs Network. You can learn more about the show and discuss this episode of the community at threemovesahead.net or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash 3MA. Finally, Three Moves Ahead is supported by listeners just like you on Patreon. You can learn more at patreon.com slash 3MA. But also has further information about our super secret Discord server where we occasionally talk about strategy games. Uh, anyway, we'll be back next week with another episode of Three Moves Ahead. Until then, for Rowan, for Bruno, this is Rob Zachney saying goodnight.